Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Najeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister. And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me many things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see? that you did this thing. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wonder from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you have vindicated. 
Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs in the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I'm not doing it again. Uh, if you're listening to the recording, you're going to have to figure out what the last five minutes were. Um, but doesn't it seem like, Abra- like Abraham is not even the good guy in this passage? It seems like Abimelech is the one who's acting with integrity here. Abraham is the, the one who's lying, who's deceiving. But then Abimelech, the one who's the king, who Abraham says, you have no fear of God. This is why he says he was scared. He's the one, at least reading this, that seems to be the one acting in integrity. Just this whole passage, this, what I see is like, Abraham is not faultless. Abraham is not sinless. Yes, he is celebrated much through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, being a man of faith. Celebrated as we look at Hebrews 11. But it's very apparent that it was not his own ability, his own perfection, anything in him. None of that was why God had chosen him. Like, not only does he sin, but he's a repeat offender. He does it over and over again. We'll get to verse 13 in a little bit, but he's like playing this out. This is premeditated. He's like, we're going to do this every city we go in. I'm planning for this. And I don't know if you felt it too, but at least these last two weeks, but even looking back, as I said a moment ago, since Noah, like just the sin in the world is, it seemed like snowballing. It's like, man, why is it all so heavy? Why do we keep talking about sin? But it's been very clear through all of this that the intentions of man's heart, like our wants, our desires, have been broken, have been corrupted. Like it's not just isolated in Genesis. As if we kept going straight through the Bible, we'd see this more and more and more. All the way through, up to today. Nothing would change. It just gets worse and worse. And I want to make a couple points specifically about sin. And I never have like points. Very rarely do I have points, but I've got th- six points, kind of. Three, three points here and then three later. I was kind of excited. Um, but just three points about, just about sin, what sin is, kind of the nature of sin. The first one. We are quick to see the sins of others while ignoring our own. We are quick to see the sins of others while ignoring our own. If you remember last week, it says that Abram stood, Abraham stood and watched Sodom and Gomorrah from a distance. Like, he watched this city being judged for their sin. We saw, like Abraham said, he stood and watched. He saw all this happen. But at the same time, he was, verse 13, he was plotting for his sin. He was oblivious to that. Like, how do you reconcile those two things? 
Like, he's watching. He's like, sees the sin of Sodom, Gomorrah, but then ignores his own. Let me just read verse 13. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. You hear the words, it's almost like, this all happened when God sent me away from here. And he's telling Sarah, it's like, this is planned. This is planned. So he's quick to see the sins of others while ignoring his own. And I think that we're all quick to do this. I know that I am very quick to do this. I mean, it's, it comes back to a lot of it being blinded to our own sin sometimes, but being so quick to see it in other people. We're so quick to see it in other people. And it's easy to look at this text and say, yeah, we see that. Yeah, it, it, it's true of Abraham. But it's true of me. It's true of me. Number two, our sin is often a pattern. Sin is a pattern. Like, again, this is, this is not new for Abraham. He's done this before. He's done it, and he's still plotting to do it again, apparently. And I think that we see that sin is a pattern. And like, rhetorical question, but have you seen the same patterns of sin in your own life? Maybe it's that, that the sin, that one sin that has wreaked havoc on your life. Do you see the same things that continue to lead you to sin? Well, maybe it's the same physical location. Maybe it's the same time of day. Maybe it's the same relationship. Maybe it's the same whatever. But I, I would bet that if we really stopped to think about our own lives, we would see a pattern, whatever that might look like. But again, I'll say it one more time, that Abram was plotting for his sin. He was planning for it. But what, we talked about this last week, God says flee, escape, get away from it, run, stop, don't look back, don't stop. Don't look back. We saw the angels telling Lot that. Like, it's such a pattern. Could, what is a pattern? It's something that continues on. There's a routine to it. God says, no, get away from that pattern. Flee to something new. Run, get away. You see the sin also, like, it's such a pattern. Like, we make such dumb excuses for it. Like, Abram, he says, well, well, she's really kind of same father. Isn't that, that like half-truth that's essentially just a lie? It's so, he, he's so blinded to just the, the gravity of that. And I think that we can very much make dumb excuses as well. Number three, our sin impacts and hurts others. Our sin impacts and hurts others. We, so we talked about this with 
back in chapter 12, that Abram lies about his wife. She goes into the house of Pharaoh. Not only is he putting his wife in danger, but Pharaoh's house is then afflicted because of it. Here we see Abimelech, his house. Like God comes and threatens Abimelech's life. We see that, that God has closed the wombs of those in, the, in his house. Like our sin impacts others. And I think that while we are, can so often look at our sin and think, wow, I'm getting away with it. It's not impacting anyone else. I think that even when we don't see it, someone else is taking the hit for it. Just to lighten things up for a moment, I was thinking this week as I was thinking of like our actions causing someone else pain. Back over a year ago when we had the, when we had the twins, um, there was a time where Bella was hanging on a door frame, um, like just holding on, kind of straddling the door frame and leaning back as far as she could, like almost her head touching the other door frame because she was stretching back. I thought it was going to be a great opportunity to tickle. So I was standing right next to her, so I just put my finger right underneath her neck. And what was her reaction? Of course, it was, it was come up and tuck her head as fast as she could, and she face-planted right on the doorframe. I mean, thud, square. I honestly don't know there's a time. Like, it's funny to think back about, but, like, I cannot think of a time that I felt worse in a parenting moment. Because, like, my action had caused her some really real pain, like, as I stood there, like, kneeled down, like, holding this sobbing child, I was like, my actions, I caused that. Like, I felt awful, <laughs> completely awful. But I think we don't realize the severity of the way that our sin impacts other people. We don't, even, we don't realize the way that even as we sin, the, this, the, the way, the pain that it inflicts on someone else. Maybe it's the way that we lash out against a spouse. Or it's a child who is unfairly punished because the parent, we felt wronged. Maybe it's a coworker who we're, we've been stepping on as we try to climb a corporate ladder. Like, whatever it looks like, like, we might not even know who it is impacting. I was thinking, like, if God had not intervened here and stopped Abimelech, and, and we, see, we see the way it plays out, but if God had not done that, Abraham might have never known the way that his sin was impacting Abimelech's entire family. Like, how selfish are we to think that our sin is also not doing the same thing? The way we lie, when we're prideful, when we lust, when we gossip, when we slander. Like, knowing that these sins impact other people. It's not an isolated to us. Like, why are we so quick to see other people's sins? How do we... so? Ignore the patterns of sin in our own life. But then we also ignore the pain that we inflict upon others. It's 
So fortunately, that's not the whole passage. That's not the whole main point here. Because we see some things about sin, the realities of sin. Like, what's going on here? But then we also see multiple ways that God acts in spite of our sin. So let me just give you three more things. Three more things. Because in spite of Abraham's sin, in spite of Abraham's sin, God reveals himself to a nation. Because it's easy to miss this part. Because through this encounter with Abraham, what really happens is that Abimelech encounters God. He encounters the living God. Because of this encounter, in spite of Abraham's sin, Abimelech is taught the severity of sin. He's, about, he's taught about the wrath of God. But he also hears the mercy of God. As God tells him, I know you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. You see, like, through this encounter, Abram's sin, through this, God is still making his name known. He's still teaching this nation what he is like. And really, we see the gospel introduced as Abram's sin. Like, we see the sin is great here. What Abimelech was about to do, that sin was great. But that God's mercy and grace is greater. You see that through that, not at all, not in any way justifying what Abram did, but in spite of Abram's sin, God is still sovereign. God is still declaring his name. God is still revealing what he is like. Also, in spite of Abraham's sin, God protects Sarah. And this is something that I had never really seen in this passage until um, preparing this week. Um, because, remember, like, this baby has been promised to um, Abraham and Sarah. This baby has been promised for over 20 years now. This baby had been promised. And then recently, um, the Sunday before Easter, we saw that these, the angels came and, and said... Within a year, you're going to have a baby this time by this time next year. And I never realized just the danger. Sarah's taken in to Abimelech's house. Like, essentially as a wife, if that, is, if that marriage relationship is consummated, like with the sexual relations, then is not the paternity of this coming promised child in danger. And I've never seen that, that even as Abraham sins, God protects Sarah. God protects the promise that he had made. And I had never seen that. I thought that was really awesome. Even God, in this moment, as Abraham is sinning, God is protecting Sarah. Number three. In spite of Abraham's sin, God's grace covers Abraham's sin. I don't know if anyone else felt this as I was reading this passage, um, but the whole passage seems backwards a little bit. Like, why is Abraham being blessed through all this? Why is Abimelech the one that's like receiving judgment for this? Like, it seems backwards because 
Abraham is the one who sinned, but God threatens Abimelech. Abimelech is the one needed prayer, and Abraham's the one who prayed. Abimelech was the one who was wronged, and yet Abraham is the one who is given sheep and oxen and servants and offered a place in the land. Like, this whole chapter seems off in that regard if it's not viewed through the lens of God's grace. Because God is not justifying, it's not saying that Abraham was right in his sin, but it's only because of God's grace that Abraham received any of those. He received exactly opposite of what he deserved. God's grace covered Abraham's sin. So as, as we look at this passage, Genesis chapter 20, again we see God revealing himself to the world, revealing himself to us as we go through Genesis, through this one man and his family, through this one sinful man and his family. God is revealing to the world his wrath, his love, his mercy, his justice. And even as Abraham sins, God is still doing those things. God is still revealing who he is. Who he is. It's not about Abraham. We get caught up in Abraham's sin looking at it. This is God revealing who he is to a nation, to a king. And I think thinking of it as, as a church, as a church, like God was using Abraham to take this message of who God is to the world. And that's what we are as the church. Like we are who God has said. All right, you as the church Local church, global church, you are taking the gospel, the good news of the gospel, to the world. So in much of the same way as Abraham was doing this, our role as the church is taking the good news of the gospel to the world. You see, Abraham did not stop God from accomplishing his will in doing those things and displaying and showing a nation what he was like. Abraham's failure did not stop that. Like, the will of God being accomplished is not contingent upon us. It's not contingent upon us not failing. Sure, like the Bible, we see all the way through. I was just talking to someone yesterday about Deuteronomy like 27, 28, where God says, here's all the blessings for obedience. Here's all the, the curses for disobedience. Like, yes, obedience is re rewarded, I believe. But God's will being accomplished is not dependent upon us. Like, our, our failures does not mean that Jesus is not still saving people. Does that mean we should just continue to fail? Like Paul talks, I don't know if I put this in there or not, um, but in, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? So just because God's will will be done, even 
though we fail, even, even though we sin, doesn't mean that we should just not be concerned with our sin. Like, based on this, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Like, if we are saved, we're going to more and more grow to hate our sin, more and more to flee and run from it. Yes. But at the same time, God's will will be done. Like, how amazing is it that God does not need us? He's not waiting on us just to be successful. I've heard way too many missionary pleas be given from pulpits, from preachers. It says, God needs us. Like, if we don't share the gospel, then God's will, he just, he can't do this. He needs us to do that. That is completely the wrong heart behind taking the gospel to the nations. Like, God does not need us. It's a beautiful thing that he chooses to do amazing things through the church, through individual believers. It's an incredible thing. But God does not need us. But it's extremely, it's a humbling thing. Extremely, it's a humbling thing that God would include us, sinners, in his mission. In his mission. I want, I want to, I'm going way out of order in my notes, but I want, to, I want to read a quote. This quote is by Bob Deffenbaugh. He says, What a humbling experience it must have been for Abraham to intercede on behalf of Abimelech. A deep sense of unworthiness must have, or at least should have, come over him. It was surely not, it was surely not his righteousness which was the basis of this divine healing that occurred. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I must confess to you that I frequently experience feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness. Prophets, my friends, are not necessarily more pious, and neither are preachers. The greatest danger that those in positions of prominence or power face is that they begin to believe that their usefulness is based upon their faithfulness or their deeper spirituality. Anytime we are used of God, it is solely because of the grace of God. Just hear that as a church. Like this is coming from a, a preacher as someone who is leading a church, and I feel like in, in a different way I've felt that way, but I think the same is true of every person in the church. Every person in the church. The fact that God would include us in his plan to take the gospel to the nations, the fact that he would do that is not just based on what we have, any sort of deeper spirituality that he says, like anytime we as the church, individuals, corporately, anytime that we are used of God, is purely because of his grace. God can still accomplish amazing, great, wild, huge things in spite of our failure. In spite of our failure. 
it's easy to read, to, as Christians, it's easy to think that, man, my failures are really limiting what God is going to do. Man, God, this has been a pattern of sin in my life. Like, man, God just can't use me anymore. Maybe it's these mistakes that I've made. Listen, regardless of what mistakes you have made, regardless of what sin or patterns might be in your life, God can do incredible things through you, through me, through any other person who is fully trusting in the grace of God. We've said that God covers Abraham's mistakes. He covers Abraham's sin. God has done the same for us in Jesus. God sent his son into the world to bear our burdens. And now we can bear the burdens of others. God sent Christ to take our sins, offer complete forgiveness. New life, we read, we quoted from Ephesians 2 last week. But God, new life. It's purely out of grace. It's purely of what God is doing. It's he accomplishes his will in the world. It's not what we have to somehow offer. What do we have to offer? Like, as, as we were singing the third song, like, stand with, with arms high and arms wide open. I, I messed that up. But, like, just that surrender. Because it's not what we have to offer. We say, God, whatever, you, whatever you've given me, Whatever it is, we have it because of God's grace. And I say, God, it's yours. That's all I've got. It's just an incredible thing, reading of what God does through Abraham. After Genesis 12, Abraham's sin, God continues to do incredible things. Genesis 20, we see Abraham and his sin again. God is going to continue to do incredible things. Like, let us not try and fail to limit God by what, who we are or by what we might have to offer. Because God, in his grace, can do increasingly incredible things. Just looking at the verses that we're, that we're going to get into after this morning, it's just continual reminder of how faithful God is in spite of what we deserve. We've had multiple conversations at the dinner table this week. I, Isaac, I didn't plan on you being in here, but you're in here. So he says, I wish things were always fair. I wish things were always fair. And it's like, Man, things in this world are not fair. Things in this world are not fair. The fact that Jesus would die on a cross for you and me, that is so not fair for us. And praise Jesus that it wasn't fair. That Jesus took that. That God can use, God can do Exactly what he wants to do. And that was to give us grace and to give us mercy. Praise God for that mercy. Let's pray.